Father, thank you for your purposes and your promises that you achieve good purposes. You extend good promises. Thanks for that. And thanks for the fact that we can grab them in a time like this when the things that are going on around us don't feel good. Thank you for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. We're talking about <clears throat> the Ten Commitments. The end of next month will mark the one-year anniversary birthday of the global pandemic. Uh, we wonder when things will get back to normal, when we'll be able to get back to the good old days. We didn't have to worry about social distancing. We were able to go who we, where we wanted to go and visit who we wanted to visit with. When we ran into somebody, we could shake hands or give a hug without having to think twice about it. But for almost a year now, it's about 10 months, we've been had to have to give second thoughts to those things that we took for granted. And it's natural for us to wonder, when is this going to be over? Are we ever going to get back to a good place where we could do the kind of things that that we, we that we want to do, that are associated with being able to connect with those we care about. Um, commitments seven and eight over the next couple of weeks, they answer the questions. And what they commitment seven is good is ahead of us, and commitment eight, good is guaranteed. Are we going to enter? Are we going to arrive at a good place? And God's commitments indicate, and His promises, yeah, we will. Uh, good is ahead of us. Here's what the New Covenant says. And what we talked about, commitments one through four are about the new messenger. And they describe um, the Father and Jesus and how they represent themselves to us. Commitments five through eight are more about the message. And um, God changes us and God chooses us. It, this comes from the New Covenant. And God came into a covenant with Israel especially, at Mount Sinai. And when Jesus came, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. So the reason why Jesus came is so the old covenant would be superseded by the new covenant. And it's a new message. And, and it says in that covenant description, here's what it says. I will be their God and they will be my people. And what God says, as part of this new covenant, we could be his people, and he will be our God. That comes from Jeremiah 31, and it's also in the New Testament. But then in Jeremiah 32, he goes on to describe, okay, what does that mean when it says God is our God and we're his people? What does that mean? Let me tell you what that, let me read what that, what that means from Jeremiah 32, a chapter after he describes the new covenant, and then he says, this is what it means when God is our God and we're his people. They will be my people, and I will be their God. And then he goes on, I will give them singleness of heart and action, so that they will always fear me for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them, I will never stop doing good to them. 
and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart. And so I forget when I was in China, I was involved with uh, individuals who were seeking to um, influence other people spiritually. And I was teaching at the time, so I was both teaching and being kind of a mentor to some of those individuals who were there. And I was teaching a middle school class and we were dealing with the new covenant. And so when I said, they had them read it, and I'll never forget it. Because so I said, anytime the word good is found, I want you to shout it out. And so I had this class. And so when we read this, they will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me for their own good. And then they really screamed it out. And the good of their children after them. Kids don't get a chance to shout that much in school, so they really like being able to do so. I will make an everlasting covenant. I will never stop doing good to them. And I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. The new covenant, good is ahead of us. God uses current covenants to clarify his commitments to us. And what God commits to us, what he promises us, that he will never stop doing good. So I like to imagine there's you and there's God and there's good. You, God, good. I want you to picture the connections between these as being unbreakable. You have an unbreakable connection with God. We'll talk about that more next week. When God says, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. We have an unbreakable connection with God. And God has an unbreakable connection with good. To be connected to God then, you, God, good. If you're connected to God, you're connected to Good. You, God, good. Um, God is the source of good. Here's what James says. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Here's what he says. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, in whom there is no variableness or shifting shadow. God doesn't kind of look this way and then kind of cloud. You know, if you ever looked at somebody when they're disturbed about something, their face kind of became cloudy and they might have been smiley, but then their, their attitude changed. God's attitude doesn't change. When he makes a promise, he keeps it. And and what it says then, every good and perfect gift originates in him. I want you to think about gifts that you've received. Not just gifts that can be purchased, but things that you value. Relationships. People that care about you. Promises that you can bank on. Securities. Everything that you have that you would consider that really is good. If you trace it, it finds its genesis in God. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. Um, That's what James said. And the issue is that 
he has to remind them because life isn't going well at the time where James writes these words to the Jewish Christians who have been dispersed into the Roman Empire, judging by what they see, God is not keeping that promise. What they are experiencing doesn't feel good. And they don't seem to be in a good place. The early days of Christianity, that was kind of a good thing. In the first couple of years, people sold their property and gave it to anybody who had needs and everybody depended on one another and everybody had enough stuff. And, and then as the years went by, there were famines and persecutions. And so these Jewish Christians found themselves away from their neighborhood. They had to move out of Israel, many of them, and they were away from their livelihood. So they had to not only leave their home, but leave the business, the thing they did. And so then they had to, to try to find a job in a place that there wasn't a lot of good jobs for them. And they weren't accepted by many Gentiles. And because they were Christians, they weren't accepted by many Jews. And so they had a hard time. Life didn't look good for them. James tells them that God is indeed the source of good. But it, it might won't it might not be and it won't be immediately obvious. It will become obvious in time. They will need to distinguish between now and then. God makes a promise to us in the now. Good is ahead of you. You might not see it now. You will come to a place when the dust clears and God's purposes are established, you will look back and you will say, you know what, God? You are right. I'm in a good place. And it will be an eternally good place. Um, but good ends and hard means seems to be the way God dealt with his people and with, listen to what it says from the Old Testament, and it's describing their experience in the wilderness. Here's what it says. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless lands with its venomous snakes and scorpions. That doesn't sound very good. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert something your fathers had never known to humble and to test you so that it might go well with you in the end. But hard means leading to good ends. The New Testament gives us the same assurance. Paul says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. In all things, God works for the good those were called according to his purpose. I want you to think about things in your life. Do this. Maybe try to find two lists, good and bad. You have in your life that's good. You think about that. What do you like? What's good? Now I want you to, to make another list. What in your life is bad? It might be a health thing. It might be physical. It might be emotional. It might be relational. But God says, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, according, and those called according to his purpose. Even 
the things in the bad side, you have to really throw them over on the good side because in all things God works for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And you might say, well, God's definition of good and my definition of good might be a little bit different, but that's really the way it is, isn't it? Isn't good a subjective thing? For instance, I don't imagine that come Tuesday, Joe Biden and Donald Trump's opinion of good will be the same. Would you agree? Um, Mike Zimmer, coach of the Vikings. We, we know what good might mean to him. Maybe we don't know exactly how he can get there, but, but more wins, you know, less interceptions. Anyways, um, how does God define good? We define good usually when we get what we want and we keep what we want. We get what we want and keep what we want. That's how we define good. What does good mean to God? We're going to see two things. Good means that we share in his holiness and good means that we are involved in saving many lives. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. So our fathers disciplined us for a little while. And again, if you think back to your dad disciplining you, maybe it was a talking to, maybe it was more physical than that. Discipline doesn't feel very good, does it? No, and that's what he says here. Um, he says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It says, God disciplines us for our good so that we can share in his holiness. I want you to picture a dictionary, God's dictionary. And we're flipping through the letters, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, because we want to find out how God defines good. G. So we look down at the page, good, good, and here it is, has a couple of definitions that come from the Bible. One of them is, good means to share in his holiness. And that's what this verse talks about. God disciplines us for our good so that we can share in his holiness. In the context, sharing in his holiness means coming alongside those who are struggling on the path. I want you to imagine that we're all going somewhere. And it's a good place, so we want to get there. And there are people that are struggling to keep up. Some of them have turned their ankle because the road is rough. And they're not able to keep up. And, and, and they're, some are just falling behind. What good means to God when individuals who experience some difficult things, they, rather than just push forward, they end up looking over their shoulder to, to the people that are having a hard time keeping up. And what good means to God, if an individual who goes through some difficult things thinks not just of themselves, but to those who are struggling to keep up, and when they kind of make their way back to the 
the end and they try to clear the road and the path so that individuals who are having a hard time will be able to make the trip as well. That's what it means to share in His holiness. Holiness is not characterized or reflected by kind of being out in front and being the most religious. Holiness is not about being in the front, according to this passage, but by kind of staying toward the rear. To those who are having a hard time keeping up, to those who are falling behind. And when you find somebody who's having a hard time keeping up, they might want to walk with God, but they're having a hard time doing so. Holiness means you come alongside them and say, hey, you know what, I know exactly what it's like to have a hard time. Mind if I walk with you? That's the image. There's two images in the Bible. There's accountability and encouragement. Let me tell you the difference between accountability and encouragement. Accountability is if somebody's lagging behind. You drop back and you say, hey, you know what? Let me tell you why you're dropping behind. It's because you've got those shoes on and not these socks. And so, and you're also, you're not walking right. That's accountability. We tell them what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong. And we say, okay, so try to do better, okay? That's accountability. And there's something to be said for that, but that's not encouragement. Let me tell you what encouragement is. Encouragement is when you come and you, and you, and you say, hey, you know what? You're having a hard time, aren't you? I know exactly what that's like. Can I walk with you a little bit? And so encouragement is done alongside somebody. It's not that you evaluate them. It's that you come alongside. That's literally what encouragement means. To call a person alongside and to walk with them. That's what sharing in God's holiness is like. Not that you just tell somebody what they'll do, what they should do, but you walk with them. You slow your pace down so that they can stay with you, so they don't have to walk alone. It talks about um, discipline not being painful. The word discipline literally means to be with a child. That's the word, to be with a child. And there is a difference between accountability and encouragement, and there's a difference between discipline and punishment as well. Punishment is focused on past misdeeds, stuff you did wrong. That's what punishment is. Punishment is you did this, and remember you did this thing in the past, and punishment is focused on what you did wrong in the past. Encouragement is not focused, I mean discipline, excuse me, is not focused on what you did wrong in the past, but what you'll do right in the future. The focus of discipline is the future. The focus of punishment is the past. The motive of discipline is love. I want to come alongside you to help you do what will ultimately benefit you in the future. That's discipline. Punishment is not motivated by love. It's motivated by justice and judgment. So the focus of discipline and punishment is different. The focus of discipline is the future. The focus of punishment is the past. The motive is different. The motive of discipline is love. The motive of punishment is justice or anger. Um, How does God define good? He defines good by sharing in his holiness. When those who represent God 
experience difficulties which allow them to encourage others who are having a hard time keeping up. God calls that good. I want you to think about the events in your life that might have been painful. You don't want to go through them again. But because you went through that thing, you've been able to come alongside others, and you've been able to understand where others have suffered because you've experienced it as well. And I bet you you can think about that. There's things you've experienced that you're able to sympathize and encourage others who are going through the same thing. When one of his representatives experienced something difficult, a hard means, that leads to the good end of them being able to help others, God calls that good to share in his holiness. One more thing, not just sharing in his holiness, but saving many lives. That's another definition in God's dictionary. Here's what it says. Joseph, at the end of his life, said to his brothers, and you know the story of Joseph, they threw him in a pit because they were jealous of him. He had a multicolored coat. His father really thought he was special. He had all kinds of dreams about what God was going to do with him in the future, and he must have told his brothers, and they didn't like that very much, and so they didn't like him very much, and they threw him in a pit, and he got out of the pit and was sold into slavery, and just a number one thing after another, he ended up in prison. He ended up being unjustly accused of doing things he didn't do. At any rate, he ended up in a place where he was helping Pharaoh and putting food together. His family from Israel came to him, and he was at this place where they needed food, and he was in a position to be able to provide it for them. So his brothers at the end, when they came to him, and they were shaken in their boots because they said, oh no, do you know who that is? That's Joseph. And so they were thinking, oh, he's not going to like us, what we did. And so they came to him. And here's what Joseph said to them. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. What does God mean? What does good mean to God? It's when the temporary suffering of one leads to the welfare of many. And that's what Joseph was able to see. He was able to see what his brothers did to him, but then he was also seeing all these people getting food. And here's what he discovered. God's good trumped his brother's bad. God's good purposes trumped his brother's bad purposes. Now, did Joseph forget what his brothers did? Did, they, did he forgive and forget? No, he remembered what they did. See, to forgive doesn't mean that you have to forget. I don't think it's smart to forget, frankly. To forgive means to understand that somebody's bad cannot trump God's good, which is even if somebody does something to you that is very hurtful, ultimately, 
God's good purposes are going to prevail because God says, good is ahead of you. Now, it might be on the far side. So if somebody does something to you that is difficult and it might bring you to a place, you might see it, you might not, where that difficulty allows you to help others. And that's what God, God calls good. When those who represent God experience difficulties which allow them to help encourage others and save others' lives, God calls that good. Good, according to God, is when short-term pain results in long-term gain. Are you in a bad place? Might feel bad. Here's what commitment one through four says. Even in that place, God sees you. God sympathizes with you. God deals gently with you. God loves you. You're not in that place alone. And when you think of, am I ever going to get to a good place? Here's what the second four commitments say. God changes you and he chooses you. Good is ahead of you. It's as we'll look at. Good is guaranteed to you. Will you arrive at a good place? Here's what I want you to remember. You, God, good. You're connected to God. God is connected to good. You are eternally connected to good. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your good purposes and promises. That You make promises to us. We look around and things don't look good. They look difficult. We are being prevented to do from doing things that we want to do. I'd ask in this time that that you would help us to be alert and watchful for those who are lagging behind so that we could come alongside and not hold them accountable, but encourage them, walk with them. And even when we go through things where people are mean to us, they do things that, that, uh, that you would not want to be done, yet you, you're Good purposes trump anyone's bad purposes. And you bring us through things so that we can be involved in reaching out and helping those. Thank you for your good purposes. And eventually, we'll experience them personally and eternally. Thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen.